HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market, a dynamic leader in the quality food business, a mission-driven company that aims to set the standards of excellence for food retailers. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, hey, you're listening to Let's... Oh, sorry. Eat Your Words on Heritage Radio Network. Uh, this show used to be known as Let's Eat In, and I'm your host, Kathy Arroway, and it's a bo- gorgeous day in Brooklyn. Um, I'm joined today on the phone by a veteran cookbook writer, food writer, whose work has appeared in Severe, New York Times, and she is also the winner of the 2012 James Beard Award for food blogs. She writes, Poor Man's Feast. Alyssa Altman, how are you? Very well, thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks so much for joining today. Um, and you recently published a wonderful memoir called Poor Man's Feast. Congratulations. Yes. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, so this story um, is its actually a memoir. It's not a cookbook. It's a, it's a very narrative uh, memoir about your life um, throughout um, a, a li- an earlier period in time, um, around the 80s or so. Right, right. And and basically, um, you know, as you say, it's not a cookbook, um, although there are uh, 27 recipes um, that are sort of interspersed throughout the chapters. But um, but basically, it's, um, you know, it's a simple story about um, <laughs> complicated food <laughs> issues and growing up in a complicated um, culinary household with, um, with a dad who um, used to actually sort of squirrel me away um, without my mom knowing about it and and uh, take me 
for these crazy, crazy meals at uh, places like Le Grenouille and uh, Cote Basque um, in the late 1960s and early 70s when I was very small. And uh, my mom, uh, he, so my dad was a, just a huge food fanatic. He loved mm-hmm. food in all of its guises um, and really taught me um, a lot of what I know about it um, culturally. And my mom, on the other hand, um, is a former model, and she was modeling as recently as 10 years ago, and she, let's just say, has a slightly different opinion of food, and is like the quintessential New Yorker, you know, would store her sweaters in her stove if she could, Um, and so I grew up with this very kind of um, crazy push-pull sensibility about um, food and what it meant, and what I gleaned from, from my upbringing was that it could be transformative and yeah. that fancy food was always the best way to go and, and you know, whether or not you were uh, eating out or um, eating in and um, and so in the 80s I decided to go to cooking school and I was working at Dean and DeLuca at the time, the original Dean and DeLuca and coming home and making crazy, crazy tall vertical meals because I thought that's what I was supposed to do. Right. I, I love that chapter about the those Timbale molds that you're trying to create. You know, you know, everyone has seen like those gorgeously architectural plated dishes in restaurants and, and how they're supposed to look and you know, you, you went home you went out and <laughs> grabbed some Timbale molds and tried to recreate it. So I That's commend right. I commend the effort. Um so um, I, I mentioned like this is uh, a story that takes place a little while back because it it's reads like it's so lived in and so um, you've come to so many discoveries and um, t- to a greater place of appreciation for food, a greater wisdom overall about food after a while. And um, it's really it's really wonderful to read. Um, Alyssa, if you don't mind, could I read a little passage Sure. Okay, great. Sure. So this is somewhere in the middle, and it, I, just, I just love this sentiment. So, um, chapter 12. In the way that some people believe you, you can always tell the nationality of a tourist by looking at their shoes or their underwear, I've always thought you could do the same by digging around in someone's kitchen. You can tell who they are, existentially speaking, just by opening cabinet doors, poking around the refrigerator, and pulling open a few utensil drawers. So... That was a little snippet from Poor Man's Feast. And uh, you go on to talk about how you discover your mother's kitchen. And, you know, as you described, uh, she's not so, so much a foodie. <laughs> and no, then, definitely not. <laughs> and then you go on to describe uh, Susan's kitchen, which is what this chapter is all about. And, and what that has taught you. Um, and, and what it teaches people. Um, what food, I guess, teaches you people about people and um throughout this story which is actually a love story um this memoir y- it starts sort of as um I-, I remember the first chapter had a first date with susan and right and then there's a it ends with you eating bread and cheese alone at home and at the end of the book there is um there's a sort of a little arc where you have enjoy bread and cheese together so serving and sharing that simple pleasure together. Right, right. Yeah, no, it's, um, it is very, very much a love story. And, um, it, you know, it, it, um, it took, uh, my meeting the love of my life, who is a 
quintessential bona fide Yankee through and through, um, mm-hmm. you know, raised in northern Connecticut um, in a very different kind of household than I was raised in um, to a very different kind of family that I was born to. Um, and Susan believed and still does believe that um, simple is always best. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the story follows, um, you know, it sort of dashes back and forth across um across time periods and and uh, generations and and decades and you know the 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 love story is uh, thankfully still very current <laughs> which is which is nice um, but but she really taught me everything um i now know um to be true about food as um as sustenance rather than food as either entertainment or food as fuel um, and that the act of, you know, the simple act of breaking bread with somebody um, is um, is a great leveler. Right. That's uh, so rich with just uh, residents there at the end, the, just the simplicity of the bread and uh, butter or cheese. Yeah. Um, and so it's interesting because this is some, Susan didn't go to culinary school like you did or go to all these or was taken to all these, uh, you know, five-star restaurants as, as a child like you were. But yet, she has taught you more about food in the long yeah. run. You know, I think I think it's um, well. Thank thank goodness she didn't go to cooking school, and thank goodness she didn't, uh, you know, didn't grow up going to all of these, uh, you know, these high end restaurants. And um, thank goodness she didn't get a bee in her bonnet about, uh, you know, that being the way um, um, she was supposed to she was supposed to live and 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 eat. But you know, I think that. Um, it's it's a certain sort of sensibility that um that she's got and um she has a sort of um, I'm a much I mean I'm a New Yorker I was born and mm-hmm. raised here and so I come to the table with a frenetic sensibility um that really sort of needs to be diffused and I think that it needed to be diffused and it needed to be sort of simmered down as the case may be but um and I think that that's true for a lot of people who grow up and live in the hustle and bustle of of the city or or any city that you know we really need um kind of a focused effort to to pull us off the you know the day to day craziness of of food as entertainment and mm-hmm. and people yelling bam you know at you and that kind of thing <laughs> and soup nazis and stuff like that and and Susan grew up in in um northern connecticut as i said and and i think that she really um came to the table came to our table with a much more um um I don't want to say discerning sensibility, but a slower sensibility uh, when it when it came to food. And um, you know, she never had a television set sitting on the end of her table um, as a child, to my knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but we did, and I think a lot of people do. And and so you kind of lose that sense from the outset of um, of sitting down and eating together as. Um, as a convivial way to um, to live, and um, and and so she, that's part of what she brought to the table, and and with that came um, the understanding that you know we live in this this crazy society where food is entertainment, and you know people who don't know how to make a simple steak 
feel the need to go out and buy home sous vide kits for $700. Um, And that those same people usually can't poach a simple egg. (laughs) No, it's interesting. And, you know, that we have to take a a calculated uh, step back um, when we approach a meal sometimes. And even, you know, when sometimes when I have a dinner party with friends, or a potluck or something like that. It's I have to sort of bite my tongue about mentioning. Oh yeah, and I saw this. Both have you guys tried the the fried chicken at blah blah blah? You know, <laughs> if we're having fried chicken, and you know, there's always like some sort of food media buzzing around in your head, or it's very like, yeah. it's very hard to stay present. Mm-hmm. It really it really is, and I think that um, that 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 seems to be. Um, our greatest challenge for a lot of people, you know, that we 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 want to um, either sit down and eat and talk about other food, somebody else's food, um, or food television, um, or what the hottest chef is doing now, rather than just staying present with what you're eating mm-hmm. and the people that you're breaking bread with and enjoying what you're eating and their company. And that must have been pretty tough for you because you um, had been a food editor um, for a website at the time that you that you had met Susan. So it was also part of your career to be on top of this kind of thing. Right, thing, so. right, um, right. Yeah, no, I, I was. I was, um, I was the um, editorial director for a now long-defunct website. <laughs> um, and it, it was all about, you know, the hottest restaurants in the city and the hottest right. restaurants in, in every city. Do you find that people, um, home cooks now that are maybe just picking it up for the first time, say, you know, out of fresh out of college grads, um, do you find that people or think that people are more informed about what to cook from what they see in restaurants rather than what they've seen in homes, even their own? I, I do think so, um, and and I think that that just comes by comes by way of um, you know where we are uh, culturally. I mean, most in most homes, um, you know, I grew up in a home with a mom, a dad, and a grandma who didn't live with us but lived right across the street from us, and so she was in the house all the time. And she was a, she was actually a wonderful cook. Um, how she managed to have my mom, who can't <laughs> cook her way out of a paper bag, no one knows, but. Um, but you know there was so there was always home cooking going on for better or for worse mm-hmm. in in my home and you know fast forward to the present day and i think i think we're getting better than we were but there there was a spate of time where um you know both parents if there were both parents both parents worked um and maybe um you know a kid would come home from middle school or junior high school um and there maybe there was somebody at home or maybe there wasn't and i think that that's just very common that's just you know that's that, that's an example of families trying to make ends meet and so if that young child is going to get enticed by the act of cooking, that's probably going to happen by food television, mm-hmm. um, by the Food Network, or when you know one, one of the other shows that that's out there, or PBS. Um, and so, you know, we really we're getting our food information. Younger people are getting their food information in um, in different ways right right now. Hence the Tim Bale molds. What exact? These are like tin molds that are that come in various different heights that you basically squash food in and then push it out. Pretty much. So, yeah. Pretty, okay. pretty, pretty much. Um, you know, they, they kind of look like overgrown thimbles. 
Um, and I needed to have eight of them for reasons that now, um, you know, when I think about them, I, I think, you know, they would have been great to start seeds in. <laughs> you know? I, I love how you um, have this in a chapter about tall foods. And that's actually one of the distinctions between a restaurant plated dish and a home cooked dish. And, you know, it just strikes me. Um, reading this now that, um, you know, my parents growing up never tried to um, give some height or, you Mm -hmm. know, (laughs) to their dishes, like a plate of spaghetti and meatballs. Um, But height and, and, you know, kind of drama with plating is a huge deal um, dealing with restaurants. And and I, you know, I I think that a lot of that also comes from... um, comes from our access to food television and, you know, food publications and, and the belief that everybody has to be a chef. I mean, you can walk into any supermarket in the United States, anywhere in, and I just, I just came off a 9,000 mile, um, uh, 10 city tour, uh, for, for the book. And so I've been everywhere mm-hmm. and, and, you know, you can walk into any supermarket anywhere in this country and buy gourmet, quote-unquote gourmet-style products that have a famous chef's face, any number of famous chef's faces <laughs> attached to them. And, you know, I, I think that um, there's this great misconception that um, we, we must cook, fa- you know, we yeah. must cook fancy um, for us to cook well, and, and, you know, nothing could be further from the truth. <laughs> All right, so um, let's take a quick little um, musical interbra- interlude, and we'll be right back chatting more with Alyssa Altman. Oh, well, I, I just You're listening to Thank You by the California Honey Drops on the HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Washed rind cheeses are a fairly recent addition to the repertoires of artisanal cheesemakers in the United States. These cheeses tend to be stinkier than other types and are often high on the list of connoisseurs. Now, Whole Foods Market has come up with one of their own. The raw cow's milk cheese made by Sprout Creek Farm in Poughkeepsie, New York, is washed with six-point ale from Red Hook, Brooklyn. The beige sticky rind deepens in color as it ages. The satiny ivory cheese within is mellow with a sweetly tangy bite and a grassy aroma. The current version features six-point diesel, which is in limited supply, so stop by and pick up some before it's gone. And point-of-origin cheese is sold exclusively at Whole Foods Market in New York, northern New Jersey, and Connecticut. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. All right, we're back. This is Eat Your Words, and we're talking with Alyssa Altman, the author of Poor Man's Feast, A Love Story of Comfort, Desire, and the Art of Simple Cooking. Hi there again. Hi there. <laughs> we're on the phone, so it's always strange uh, doing this on the phone versus in person, so you can see them right in front of you, but... Um, you're doing a great job. Thank you. Um, so this book, this memoir falls into, a, a you know, it's an evocative, really rich um, memoir about food. Um, were there any other books that you were inspired by or authors um, when you approached this project? 
Um, you know, I, I, I'm, an, I'm a voracious, voracious reader, and um, uh, that said, I do have, I do have my favorites. I mean, Lori Cohen, um, home cooking, you yeah. know, home, co- home cooking, and as well as her novels, which were, you know, in, in which food was just always sort of a, a secondary, or in some cases, a primary character. Um, who else? Nigel Slater's Toast, um, certainly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that you know those those books really um, have meant have meant a tremendous amount to me o- over the years. And um, sitting in my office right now, you know, I'm looking up at um, at sort of a, a wall of Laurie Colwyn books. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, I, I really you know I, I adored adored her writing and continue to. Wonderful. Um, how how did you decide to write this book? Because you had started writing the blog Poor Man's Feast and. Um, did that come first, or did you have this idea of writing the memoir? No, no. I mean, the the the, the blog. Um, I launched the blog in two thousand and eight, and um, just to see in you know, and it was a slightly different format back then, but just to see if I could begin a conversation, a two way conversation with um, with other home cooks and mm-hmm. and people who had sort of been down the same road that I had, you know, growing up in New York, being a New Yorker um, at a time in the, you know, 60s, 70s, and 80s when food was very big and, and, um, and it really resonated, um, thankfully resonated for a lot of people um, and a lot of readers. And eventually, you know, I started to see, and this is certainly the editor in me speaking, you know, I could see that there was um, that there was a pattern, and there were certain um, that there were certain narrative threads that were that were um, making themselves known. And mm-hmm. and so uh, back in 2010, um, I began to to write the book, and and um, and and here it is. Yeah, and this is your <laughs> it's first a birthing book. process. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's, that's wonderful. Um, this is your first book, right? This is actually my my second book. My okay. first book was a was a um, was a cookbook that came out in two thousand and five or two thousand and five, called Big Food, and it was about the um, the concept of um, buying food in bulk and using absolutely everything that you buy. It's um, still, I believe, it's still in print. That sounds great. And yeah, uh, yeah and I'm actually um, at work on a sort of like a CSA version of it uh, oh. because. Uh, because you know, it, I, I live in Northern Connecticut now, and and we have a big garden, so we don't we don't um, we're not CSA members, but some of our neighbors are. And if I ha- if I hear the phrase, "What do I do with eight pounds of turnips?" once more, um, I'll scream. <laughs> so that's that's where the book is coming from. Uh, is that in response to perceived challenges of being in a CSA, or actual ones that that people have found themselves in? Well, it's you know, yeah. I think it's it's. Um, it's a response to a lot of people coming up to me um, in farmers markets and and saying things mm-hmm. like, "What do I do with all these beets?" And you know, I can't just buy a beet um, if I'm buying you know the beet a, a bunch of beets with beet greens and mm-hmm. and um, you know and and how do I how do I use everything that that um, you know that I get from either the farmer or from the CSA box and. So um, it's it's uh, gotten some nice you know some nice traction, um, and that's that's sort of in process right now. That sounds great! I can't wait to <laughs> check that one out. Um, Thank you. Congrats! So, what was it like writing this very very narrative and personal story compared to a cookbook? 
Oh, it was about <laughs> as different as different, you know, as as different could could possibly be. Were you be. scared, um, or you know? You know, I I, I was always very um, careful. Um, mm-hmm. It is, as you say, a very very personal, deeply personal um, story. Uh, my blog tends to be very personal, and everything that I write. Um, is always I always run run it past Susan. I mean, there's nothing. I I never hit the publish button. I never, you know, I never hit oh, wow. send until until I show her absolutely everything. Yeah. Um, because you know, one person's privacy is is another person's um, conversation, and um, and so it's very very important to me to respect um, to respect my partner's privacy, um, even though you know this is our story. Um, and uh, and she's been really wonderful about it. Well, that's great. And how about your parents? Because they're major uh, characters well, I, in the book too. I lost <laughs> I lost my dad back in back in two thousand and two. Um, and I I would like to think that he um, that he'd be really pleased with this. He was always very very supportive of uh, supportive of my writing um, for as long as I was doing it. Um, my mom actually has not yet read the book. <laughs> So, um, you know, she's coming. I'm doing. Um, I'm actually doing doing a signing um, in Brooklyn um, at Book Court um, oh, this coming Sunday, and then another signing in, at Rizzoli in Manhattan next Thursday. And I know she's coming to the Rizzoli um, signing. So, um, you know, we'll see. We'll see what the response is. <laughs> I have, I'm I'm keeping my fingers crossed. That's all I can say. <laughs> that sounds great. I hope to make it to Sundays at Book Court. Oh, great, um, great. Yeah. So, um, okay, about the recipes in here, um, they look lovely, tempting. You know, simple Sunday pot roast, and then the next one is followed by what to do with leftovers from pot roast. Um, how did you choose them? Were they sort of in relation to? What was going on in the chapters? Or yes, they were. Yeah. They were always um, within context. They mm-hmm. were always in context. So, for example, there's um, there's a recipe for an onion panade in in the book, and that um, actually falls at the end of the Christmas chapter, um, where Susan and I uh, celebrated our first Christmas together. And I had sort of visions of this kind of Dickensian glory with you know the flaming plum pudding and the goose, and of course we were only only two people, um, and we got stuck in a terrible snowstorm and weren't able to actually leave the house to get to the supermarket to shop for Christmas dinner. So we used what we had, which was bread and cheese and stock and onions, and and um, it was it that was great. So good. It was a, it's you know I always describe it as um, as onion soup without the soup. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, I know that we can check out your blog too, but maybe a sneak peek or something, um, something that you're loving cooking right now. Oh my goodness. Um, you know, right, right now, um, I'm, I'm, I just made, um, something really wonderful. That was, it was, um, if if I, if I do say so myself, it was quite (laughs) good. Um, you know, I'm, it's, we're heading into, into the warmer and end of spring and, and, um, I'm the garden is isn't quite isn't quite there yet yeah. but I'm loving making um the sort of soup out of 
escarole and um, oh. escarole and peas and asparagus, um, a little bit of tortellini, some really nice olive oil, um, and uh, just very simple and uh, and very delicious. Oh, was the escarole like overwintered or is it new? Um, no, no, we we actually we did have some overwintered kale um, mm-hmm. kale that we actually picked uh, yesterday, but. Um, but no, this is this is uh, yeah. unfortunately unfortunately local supermarket escarole. Okay. Um, <laughs> but um, but uh, and and certainly when um, when it comes up and when the asparagus are fresh, um, that dish is really just sings. It's 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 really wonderful and and couldn't be easier. That sounds great because most people think of these um, escarole and uh, you know those chicories um, as a salad green or. To be cooked very lightly, like a saute. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I actually, um, you know, I, I cook the, I wilt the escarole in, um, in stock, um, and you can do it certainly in vegetable stock, um, if you're a vegetarian or chicken stock, um, and it's probably two to one escarole to stock, um, and it's just sort of moistened, um, and it's, it's, it's lovely, and it kind of takes the bitterness out of it, which, which is also nice, Mm -hmm. and then you've got the sort of the sweet nuttiness of the, of the asparagus, and the sweetness of the peas, and, and, uh, the saltiness of the, of the, um, Parmigiano-Reggiano, and it's, it's just lovely. Oh, that sounds very spring-like and appropriate. Yes. Something I can't wait to make soon. So, um... What is your favorite dish or recipe from the book, if any? Oh, goodness. Uh, my favorite dish from the book, I would have to say the um, it's, it's either the warm tomato sandwich, which has to be made standing in a garden with a tomato that you've just picked off, your, picked off the vine. Um, I or think that can the, be done pretty soon for a lot of folks this, this I, summer. I, I think so. Not, not in Connecticut, but... <laughs> Okay. Not, not in Connecticut. Or, um, in theory, and, it can be done. And, it, and in theory, right, yeah. right. And um, and I I would I think just the um, just the the poached egg, simple simple mm. poached egg. Sounds great. So uh, we'll see. Do you have any other upcoming uh, book events or? Well, um, as, as I said, I'm, I'm actually going to be at the Harvard Bookstore um, in mm-hmm. Cambridge, Massachusetts, on um, on Friday night at seven o'clock, and um, at Book Court in Brooklyn on Sunday at seven, and the following Thursday at Rizzoli in New York um, at uh, I believe six o'clock. And all of that is on is actually on my on my blog. Wonderful. Everyone check out poormansfeast.com for more on that and more stories and recipes. Um, That's about all the time we've got now, but thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Kathy. I really appreciated it. All right. Have a great day. We'll see you next week on Eat Your Words. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website, or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.